where um, when I had my eyes on Casey, our freshman year of college, it took six months for her heart to get to a place where she was willing to say yes to a date with me. And as I was struggling in my, in my spirit, in my mind, like how to invite her in a way that she would say yes, I, I sometimes had friends who would just come up and say, man, what, like, what are you waiting for? Just go for it. Like, what do you have to lose? And I'm like, I have a lot to lose, but what are you waiting for? Have you ever had someone ask you the question, what are you waiting for? Maybe in a form of, man, it's time for you to start putting away for retirement. Or it's time for you to take that leap of faith for that dream job that you would like. What are you waiting for? And there are times when it comes to our walk with God that we know there are some decisions we need to make in our lives, but we keep putting them off. Or, hey, next year will be the year that I take God more seriously. And sometimes you just need someone to get in front of you and say, what are you waiting for? Uh, maybe you've never surrendered a life to Jesus and it's time for you to trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. What are you waiting for? Like now the time is right. Maybe, Maybe you've been very stagnant in your faith for a long period of time and what are you waiting for? Now is the time for you to take prayer more seriously and to dive into word and start praying prayers you've never prayed before to go deeper into a life with God. There is not an age you will ever reach in which the voice of God will quit calling you. There's no depth of immorality that you can go to that the invitation of God is still not going to find you there to invite you out and invite you deeper. It, it's possible. And we, we're surrounded by people all the time who have a desire to be changed and to live better lives, but not a desire to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. They want to be better people. But they don't have the courage to surrender a life to Jesus. And I also know people who have a desire to be saved. But they don't have a desire to be changed and transformed. A desire to have heaven, this heavenly insurance that will catch them in the end. But not a desire for the pathway of heaven to guide their way now. Um, there's a question I often ask and it comes straight for Je- from Jesus. Because if Jesus asks really good questions, maybe we can hang on to the same questions Jesus asks. And there are a couple of different times that Jesus would look people in the face and Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? And the answer was obvious. Because in Mark 10, Jesus is in the presence of a guy who hadn't been able to see for years. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The answer is obvious. Yet there are times where Jesus wanted people to articulate what it is that they, what, what was the cry of their heart? How, how would they express themselves to God? This has been my go-to question when I'm sitting with people. Often instead of asking, what can I pray for you? I ask, what do you want God to do for you? There are times when Jesus, I think, still asks, like, what do you want me to do for you? Even when the answer is obvious. There are times I do this to my kids. Like, we'll go to a restaurant, and I know what they want to order, but I'll still ask them, what would you like to eat? There are times where I know the answers to true and to know his questions, yet I still want them to articulate, what is it you need? What is it you want? What is on your heart? I want to hear you work through it. When we go to Central Barbecue, I know where the answer is. Sausage and cheese plate, pork nachos that we can all share, ribs, half wet, half dry. That's how we do it. We're raising our kids to be Christians, all right? Uh, <clears throat> At times, the answers are obvious. And if God came to you today and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would, the, what would your response be? Next Sunday, December 17th, we've called this a day of baptism and recommitment. We had a number of you fill out cards last week, a few people expressing a desire to be baptized next Sunday in a, 
a number of you who express a desire to recommit, either recommitting to spiritual disciplines or recommitting to a deeper faith and just going to a deeper place with God. And we have uh, leaders who for 21 days and seven more days, your elders and ministers have at least one person fasting and praying every day for revival to come in hearts of the people in this church and that we will be the church who is passionate not to be afraid to offer invitations to people around our community to come into a relationship with God, to come into a church that's trying to live for God. Every day you have a leader fasting and praying. And, and there's some of you even in this room have yet to make a decision to trust Jesus as the Savior of your life. And there are a number of you in this room who it's, it is time for you to answer the invitation of God that you have made a decision to enter into a covenant with God in the past. You have trusted Jesus as the Savior of your life. You have been baptized, but your faith has just been stagnant. It's time for you to go deeper with God. Uh, the, the, and I've, I've taught on this before, but there are images in the early as the second, really into the third and fourth century, when people form, began to form baptistries. Uh, and if you'll go to that the first image. Now, up until this point, like people were baptized in lakes and rivers and streams. In fact, they were encouraged to do so. But then they started building these baptistries. And, and you can see some of these if you ever travel. In fact, Casey and I are heading over to Israel next late October, and we'll be able to see some of these sites. But one thing they teach and one thing they show is that a lot of these baptistries, the earliest ones, there was an entrance into the water and there was an exit out of the water. You can kind of see there. So they would enter in through one side and they would exit through another side. And this wasn't just because of convenience. This was a theological commitment people were making. This, was, this had something about the, the kind of covenant they were entering into with God and what it was saying in their heart and in their spirit and in their mind is, I am not going out of this water the same way I came in. I'm a different person. There's a new life. There's a fresh way. God is inviting me to be a whole different kind of person, so I'm not going back that same way. There's another way God is calling me to go. And isn't that how baptism is supposed to work? Even for those of us who have been baptized, as we reflect on our baptisms, the life God has called us to live, the commitment we've made, and how we choose to live out this life. Now, early on, people were invited to be baptized in rivers and streams, and there was, there was significance of that too, that there, being living waters, was, there's something powerful about that. But as time goes on, and even for us, like our baptistry right back here is not just, it's not just a baptistry, it's a heated baptistry, because that's how we like our salvation and comfort, right? Like we, we like to get in there and feel good, all right? And there have been a couple of times that the heater's gone out, and I've had to baptize people, and I have on the... The, the little waiters, and they leak, so a lot of times I, I've, I've gotten wet, but people get in there, and it's cold. I remember when Lee Brown was baptized, the guy was just shivering because the heater didn't work. But then I had Justin Archer send me a video, and maybe some of you saw this. And this is a video from Russia. And this was a church that had gathered out in Russia, if you go to this video. And this is a church that gathered. And um, it, it's in Russian, so we won't hear you say... And this is how they baptize people, all right? And, and not just one, there was a line of people. And what happens if, <laughs> what happens if they drop them, you know? <laughs> like, if, I know polar bears, who knows what is under that? Yet, here they are, baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these people come out with great joy, all right? Just a line of them, more and more. It's like, oh, brother, where art thou? They just kept coming, all right? I don't know what that guy's wearing, but it's, that's, that's good, all right. 
And I wonder if those people who were baptized in that video over in Russia, did they ever sit around and they say, you know what, why don't we just wait until next summer? Why don't we just wait until it's warmer? Why don't we find somebody who has a bathtub and let's just go in their house? Why did they choose to go through the process of having to cut through the ice and then be baptized into the water? I, I can't help but think it's just a church that's saying the time is now and the time is right. Decisions have to be made. The church is in this together. We're all going in with Jesus. What do you want God to do for you? And then life really begins to change when we ask God the same question. God, what do you want us to do for you? Like, what do you want of me? I want to talk this morning about that life with God is not just about a belief system. It's about a way of life. I want to take you on a journey this morning. I want to talk about light and darkness. I want to talk about freedom and liberation and how God leads us on this path. And hang on because I want to go to a couple of different places in Scripture to take you on this journey. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. That's where I want to begin today. It's in the story of God delivering people from, ex, uh, from Egypt. This is a story of people who have been slaves for 400 to 450 years. God is in the process of setting them free. And here's Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Here's what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. If God wanted to take them from point A to point B, the easiest route would have been straight from Egypt through the land of the Philistines who were the enemy to the land where it's freedom and there's the promised land. That would have been the easiest route. Yet what you hear in your Bible is God thought. You don't always see in the Bible what God thought. Sometimes you hear about what God says. Most of the time you don't hear about what God thought. God thought if I lead them by that way, they're going to want to go back to Egypt. So God led them the roundabout way. Have you ever had a moment when you had an appointment and you thought you knew how to get to that appointment or you looked it up on your phone on Google Maps and you found what looked like the easiest route but then you had a friend or a coworker who said, whoa, 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 I mean that looks like the easiest route but let me, let me tell you what a back road is, all right? Let me, let me tell you a different way you need to go, a roundabout way. And maybe that worked out for you, maybe it didn't. What you hear in this is God led them by the roundabout way. Sometimes the path God invites you on or God has you on is not the easiest path. It's a roundabout way. It's not the easiest way to get from point A to point B. It's not the path of least resistance. Sometimes the path of God is the path of great resistance where there may be some added stress or tension or confusion or not really knowing why you were on the path that you were on. God led these people on a journey that would take them the roundabout way. There, there are times and there are dreams that some of us have in this room. We would love right now for a relationship to work out or for kids to come or we would love for that dream job just to fall into our lap. We're ready for change, yet sometimes God has you on the roundabout way. And what we learn in life, and what we hope we learn in life, is that God is not just the God of the destination. God is the God of the journey. He's not just the God revealing to you what the promised land will look like. He is with you through every step of this entire way. Even if it's a path that may grow some blisters and some, some pain. 
I've learned in my life the people I want to follow, the people who I know who look the most like Jesus are usually people who have deep wounds and scars because they have lived and experienced a lot of life. God leads them the the roundabout way. Then you read that the Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt and they were prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites saying, God will surely take notice of you and then you must carry my bones with you from here. So (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, this hits me as kind of funny. Like Joseph made this promise that, hey, wherever you go, my bones need to go. So they boxed up his bones Yeah, back then, like a a word of mouth, a covenant like that was deep. Like you didn't break it. So there are all these possessions that the Israelites, that the people of God are taking with them out of Egypt on this journey. And they didn't have a train or a helicopter or U-Hauls. Maybe they had wagons or forms of like a wheelbarrow or something to help them out. They had all these possessions. You're told they went up for battle. So they had swords. They had weapons. You're told earlier that they had plunged the Egyptians. So they had all this stuff from the Egyptians. Pots and pans and things to make it in life. And then they also have the bones. They're all this stuff that they were carrying with them. Um, all right. Hey, Stephen. You, can you come join me real quick? You on your phone over there taking sermon notes? Is that, that's what other people do when they pull out the phones in church. No, I'm messing with you. <laughs> And Stephen, I didn't pick you because you have on a Christmas sweater, though, dude, the thing is rocking today, bro, all right? <clears throat> really like it. Um, the, there are times I shop at the Kroger at Highland and Poplar. I don't know. Do you guys shop at a Kroger? Every now and then. All right. There are times where I go in, and Casey has sent me to get four items, and I get home with, like, the wrong four items, you know, because I go in, and I just, I trust my memory. My memory's really good, but I get in, and I start, like, there's all this other stuff that I want to hold and carry and have. Do you ever do that? Yeah, there are times I go into Kroger and if I need to get milk or creamer, like I'm going in to get two items, it's in the back left. But on the way there, there are all these other items I start to get, but I I went in only needing to get two items. So sometimes what happens is like this, all right? I go into Kroger and I'm like, man, I've really got to get some coffee. So I want you to hold that. And then as I start going around, I'm like, man, my boys, the older they get, the more they stink. We need extra dryer sheets, all right? Bunch of dryer sheets. My boys love goldfish. So then I'm like, man, you know what? We're almost out of goldfish because they go through them quick. We're also in need of a lot of paper towels. And then uh, we're having friends over and we drink the drink that Jesus drank when he was young, Dr. Pepper, all right? <clears throat> and then, you know, for some reason, I also need some envelopes. And then we go through chips in our family, the lifespan of chips. Hold up, dude. Uh, <laughs> Hey, this stuff's empty, but just act like it's heavy, all right? Okay. Uh, And then, (laughs) can you get that right there? Okay. And then this is, has anybody else ever shopped at any place where you went in for two items and this is what you ended up looking like going through a a grocery store? Show of hands. Because sometimes I get to this point (laughs) and people are like, hey man, do you need some help? Or you can go get a buggy. But I am committed at this point (laughs) that I will make it. To the items, 10 items or less, but sometimes I end up carrying more than that, all right? And and you know what would be so easy? It's for me to either start over or go and get a bug, a buggy or a bag and put the stuff in there so I could carry it. Now, are you okay? You all right? Hang on right there, okay. All right, here's what often happens in life. All this stuff that we carry 
And if we would just trust that there is a container or a bag that we could put everything in would make it so much easier. For the people of God traveling with all those possessions, I'm not suggesting that they look like this. I am saying that in their hearts, they were carrying around some truths of God. But it was the moments when those people were traveling in the wilderness that they were thinking about the stuff and not how God had become or God was the container that could hold everything together. When they forgot the core and the anchor, it just became about trying to balance stuff, which sometimes doesn't go well, right? And what happens in this season in December is there's, it's, it's very easy to start thinking about all the stuff that we want in life or that we want around Christmas instead of thinking about the container, the bag, the source, Jesus, who is the one who can hold everything together. And even when it comes to the church, like there are times where we can like hold maybe a, a truth or a doctrine or a commitment to church or a desire. I mean, we want to go to church camp. There's a mission trip and there are these godly things and we're, we're holding them and we want to balance them. But are we trusting that Jesus is the container, the source that can hold everything together? It's hard, right? <laughs> You're good. <laughs> all right, let's, let's just put all this stuff down, okay? Uh, are you a Dr. Pepper guy? Here, you can take it home, man. You get it. There you go. All right. Can we put our hands together and thank Stephen? <laughs> hey, Kip, don't, tr- don't trip over all this stuff later, all right? What is the center of it all? What is the container? Are we trusting that Jesus can hold all of this together? Back to the story in Egypt in verse 20. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham. On the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. The provision God gave them was a guide, it wasn't a road map. There are times in Scripture where God provides a road map. And there are times where people don't know exactly where it is God is leading them, but God is giving them a sign or God is giving them a guide. And the command of God's people sometimes is say, you just go, you just start moving. With Abraham, God didn't lay out the whole plan for Abraham. It was, hey, you need to go. There are times when the command of God is, hey, here's a fire, here's a light. And what God provides them with is a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to guide them so that they had a guiding light, a guiding way, a sign from God night and day. Because for these people, they're not just traveling during the day, they're traveling around the clock. Now, sometimes in our lives, what we want is we want to follow our own way and we want the light of God maybe behind us to be close enough that whenever we need it, we want him to shine on us or to be there so that we can fall back on it. But here, the pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire is is guiding their way, lighting their way. But not only that, in Exodus chapter 14, the next chapter, the Egyptians are catching up to them. The enemy has found them, coming after them. There's about to be a war. And here's what you read in Exodus 14, 19. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel and so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. 
One did not come near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Do you ever visualize this happening at night? It's at night and God is dividing the waters and lighting their way. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horse, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning which the Lord and the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. What God does for his people is he lights the entire journey for them. And there are times when the fire is ahead leading the way. And then there are times when the fire of God and the light of God is about provision and protection and separation from light and darkness and from good and evil. God's will, God will, he will be all over your entire journey behind you, behind you, in front of you, beside you. And sometimes if you want to see the light of God in your life, close your eyes to everything else in your life and you may be able to see it more clearly. What the light of God and the fire of God does, if you read your Bible, if you look at your Bible, almost anywhere there is deliverance and freedom and a journey to deliverance and freedom, usually light and or fire is involved in some way. That God is lighting a way. He is setting a fire that will either show a way or burn in a heart. It's the way to salvation. It's the way to, to, to deliverance. And when the fire of God comes, it is also to purify and to change and to make a heart right for God. Donald Miller says in a book he wrote, A general rule in creating stories is that characters don't want to change. They must be forced to change. The urge to change has to outweigh our desire to stay right where we are. There are too many times in our lives we opt for what is familiar instead of craving what is better. And just because God is the great comforter and he's called that in the Bible doesn't mean God's will is for us to always be comfortable. Change happens when we are pressed to change. For people with addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or people who have experienced moral failure, when I have walked this journey with other people, the large majority of people said they were forced to change when they got caught. Unfortunately, right? It's when they got caught. It's when a wife found something on a phone. It's when... It's, it's, it, it's when it went public. It's when someone found out what they were doing. They got caught and then there was a desire to change. And when this happens in relationships, a lot of the times the people who just figured out something, their journey of grief and brokenness has just began. But what I have found with those who have been caught in their sin or, or their rebellion is that for them, there's almost this sense of freedom. And sometimes what I hear from them is when I got caught... I realized how exhausting it was to cover up my tracks, to keep telling lies, to, to know what lies I told. It's often change. It happens when we're pressed to change. When the desire and urge for freedom and liberation reaches a point that we cannot go on without it. When God delivers, when God lights a fire, when God is pointing us in this way of freedom, often light and fire is involved. This is true in the creation story when God is lighting the world to create. This is true with the way John talks about the coming of Jesus into the world. John doesn't talk about Joseph and Mary and mangers and baby Jesus. For John, it was light was coming into the world. And for us, 
who have tasted the Holy Spirit. For us, it's not just a pillar of cloud or a pillar of light. It's the light of God that has become closer than our, our very skin. It's a light that is upon us and in us to light our way, to purify our hearts. So in the birth story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, go there. Because I taught you last week, I, I helped show you last week, that for Matthew, he's trying to help all these Jews that he's writing to understand that Jesus is the new Moses. So there are a lot of similarities to the birth narrative in Matthew, to how God set the people free in the book of Exodus. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, it says this, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So these are non-Jews coming to Jerusalem. And they were asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Now, if you were King Herod, and people come to you asking about where the king has been born, do you understand how that could be received as a threat? He's the king, and people are coming saying, where was the king born? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. And you Bethlehem in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. In verse 7, then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact, the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me words so that I may also go and pay him homage or worship him. And when they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and they worshipped him. And then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road, like a roundabout way. Four different times you read about a star, a light, some kind of pillar of fire that was guiding them to Jesus. Because the way the light works throughout the Bible is the light is leading to freedom and liberation. And ultimately, it's the light of God leading to Jesus. It's the light of God that is still breaking into our lives, leading us and pointing us to Jesus, to who he is, to his character, his nature. And when this light is leading us to Jesus, our way becomes more clear. It's the light that keeps breaking into our lives, reminding us God is not through lighting your way. God is not through blessing you. God is not through using you. He's lighting your way. He's lighting our hearts. He's bringing a fire. So, um... I was reading not too long ago that for the U.S. Naval Observatory, they, they go by, they talk about how there are three different forms of twilight. That there's the civil twilight. And this is that moment in the day when you're driving and maybe late afternoon, and it's kind of getting dark, but you kind of have to ask yourself, is it, is it time for me to turn my lights on the car or not? It's the silver twilight where the sun is beginning to set. You can still see, you can still function, but you know that twilight is coming. It's silver twilight. Secondly, there's nautical twilight. And this is where the sun's almost over the horizon. There's barely a little bit of light. Some of the stars are beginning to appear in the sky. Yet in nautical twilight, if you are outside with friends, I mean, it's hard to read something in front of you. You still need a flashlight or maybe some kind of light 
to see what's going on around you. And then there is astronomical twilight. And this is the moment when the sun has set. And where if you do not have some form of electricity or a flashlight or light, you can't see your hand in front of your face. A few different kind of twilights. And in this room, I bet there are people who could explain your walk with God. And just your walk in life is one of all of those. For some of you, around you, it is so dark. It's like it is hard to see your hand in front of your face. Maybe because you've never trusted Jesus as a savior of your life. Maybe because life and stress have become so... It's just made life fuzzy where you can't see clearly. For some of you, it may be more like nautical twilight. It's that the light is over there, but it's hard to function where you are. For some of you, it's civil twilight. It's just a little bit of it. There's a little bit of darkness in your life, maybe due to sin, maybe due to just some brokenness that is around you. No matter where we are, Jesus is coming to invite us out of that into something new, into something better. It's Barbara Brown Taylor who says, we are never more in danger of stumbling than when we think we know where we are going. Um, so Richard Rohr talks a lot about spiritual formation. He talks about stuff and containers and what he, how he talks about it is this, that he says the first part of life, the first half of life until you are an adult, it should be spent with the church teaching us what the larger container is, what the larger bag and anchor and core is. And then the rest of life is about us learning how to put stuff and beliefs and ideas inside of that container, which is Jesus himself. But in our culture, it teaches us differently. It's, it's trying to teach us about stuff and all the things you need to juggle, and then later on in life, trying to form what the anchor and core is. We want to help establish what the roots and the core and the anchor is so that everything else in life can be filtered in and through that. I want to ask for our elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go to the places where you receive people. On our four tables, right there in the middle, two over on my left, two on my right, there are cards on those tables. There's a card for baptism if you would like to be baptized next Sunday, if you would like for someone in this church to study with you about baptism. There's a card for you to fill out. There's another card for recommitment. If you would like to check one of those three boxes, we have leaders in the church who are taking those. We are praying over those. We're following up with those. So I invite you before you leave this place, feel free during, as we sing these songs, to go to one of those tables and get a card. Or after worship is over, feel free to go by and check one of those boxes and give us a way to follow up with you. If there's another need in your life, please come forward. We have elders in the front to receive you. Let's stand together. Let's sing a couple of songs.